Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Primer series number two. Today is Sunday, September 17th, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network. And I am Larry H. Russell. Moving along the top or close to the top of the Eastern Conference of what we expect coming for the 2017-18 NBA campaign, the Washington Wizards vanquished by the Celtics this past May in a classic-ish seven-gamer. But as we know, by a now foreign Boston team, much of the Wizards remains the same, including our unofficial, official Washington correspondent for CLNS, the Vertical's Michael Lee, coming up on episode number 228 of Celtics Beat, Presented today by FanDuel and Bombfell. Before we get to the primer, Michael, you penned a piece for the vertical about a week and a half ago now. Great, great, great feature on Kyrie. Gives incredible insight into his mindset throughout this summer. Coming to the Celtics organization, a real good predicator on the season that he could possibly have. His own high school coach, who you spoke to in detail, and for the convenience of our listenership, I'm going to put a link to Mr. Lee's vertical feature in the show description on the CLNS Media mobile app. So after reading that, Michael, I, I can't encourage our listenership enough. And do get around to this great piece on Kyrie and making the time. But Michael, you quoted... Kyrie's high school coach, he expected him to win the MVP this year and for the Celts to make the finals. So I was here a few weeks ago in the immediate after the trade uh, for Kyrie with Chris Forsberg, and I suggested and applied the Russell Westbrook theory tab of, you know, basically, well, I can't wait to go out there and show them type thing. That that mindset seems to be in Kyrie. And after doing the due diligence and putting together your feature, is that sort of the vibe that you too get with Kyrie this coming season? Well, it's definitely the vibe that I get from uh, Kyrie's coach. Um, you know, and he, he laid it out pretty logically. You know, he said if you know Kyrie goes out and has similar number, he's basically being slotted into Isaiah Thomas's spot, right? So if he goes in and puts up identical production, he's surrounded by better talent this year than Isaiah was. He's got guys like you know Gordon Hayward and everyone else who can you know help the Celtics potentially be better than they were last year. So if the Celtics get 57 to 60 some odd wins and Kyrie's averaging 28 points a game um, their people are going to look at Kyrie differently. They're going to view him in a different light and uh, and that could put him in the MVP conversation because it's always a lot of times MVP is not so much about Don't want to give it a LeBron again. Don't want to give it a Durant again. Yeah. That well, a lot, well, a lot of times it's about narrative. A lot of, a lot of times it's about you know what's the best story? You know, um, you know what's the best story we can sell to the people that'll make the MVP you know worthwhile. Um, I think that's one of the things that sort of hurt James Harden over the last couple of years that he's never had a great MVP story. Last year, Russell Westbrook had being scorned by Kevin Durant. That sort of inspired this whole thing all year, where he his story became. Uh, I mean, the triple doubles were awesome, but I think that the story 
that sort of went around that triple doubles is what's happening now. Now that Kyrie's out to prove who he is, you know, outside of LeBron, that if they can go out the subs go out there and win, he could put up big numbers. Then all of a sudden, people will say, "Well, he's got to be the catalyst for it. Let's go ahead and vote for him for MVP." And I think that's really what's what he has going for him. He said, "Look at Kevin Durant. You know, he's playing with Steph Curry. That'll probably work against him." Um, you know, people are tired of voting for LeBron. You know, um, Russ, it's, he's not going to be able to put up another season like he did last year with Paul George there. So he just sort of broke it down. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, um, Kevin Boyle is his coach uh, and basically felt that if the Celtics improve and Kyrie's numbers increase, you know, playing playing for Brad Stevens in Boston, then it, it makes sense to consider him in the MVP conversation. And I think – you look at the numbers. Kyrie averaged 25 points last year, you know, and he was just uh, he just turned 25, you know. So a guy averaging 25 points a game, that's serious scoring. That's not the, the somebody that's going out there gunning. Like you can't average 25 unless you have some ability. Um, you know, some guys might squeak in and average 20 just because they get all the shots in the world. But if you're a guy that averages 25 on a team that's playing for something, you're pretty good. Kawhi Leonard, would you didn't. He would be another name, but you mentioned, against again, the storyline. You know, Spurs go out, they have one of those standard 55-win seasons. It's almost like, yeah, you sort of expect it, although there could be the, you know, it's a Kawhi Leonard's term. But you mentioned sort of the whole storyline, the backdrop with Kyrie, the Kevin Durant thing with, with Russell Westbrook, and, and it sort of triggered something with me, Michael, and just how interesting the dichotomy of the general perception that there is, you know, after the last six or seven years now, ever since LeBron himself started this, the the NWO trend, if I got to use a professional wrestling reference, not cool, right? But but the, the old, well, let's just join up. And then, of course, Durant uh, this past or this prior summer. But, you know, once upon a time, it was frowned upon pretty profusely, as a matter of fact, way back yonder. I know you were covering the NBA back then. If, if you remember Kobe Bryant in 2001, uh, and eventually by 2004, saying, listen, get Shaq out of here. Don't care how good he is. Don't care that we're at the top of the NBA. I want my own team. I want to be the man. And it was, hey, selfish, glory hog. Now, though, after uh, LeBron and, and Duran, it's it has become refreshing and even welcoming for Kyrie. Instead of the glory hog labels, it's, wow, you got to give this guy credit for really wanting to challenge himself like that. And, and we are. Yeah, I think a lot of it is based on we've, what we've seen and what we've learned from. And I, I can remember, you know, uh, when LeBron decided to join forces with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, I was highly critical of the move. I thought that LeBron had sort of, um, you know, he given himself an out when he could have been the, the guy, you know, in Cleveland forever. Um, he decided to, to team up with these other all-stars, and I felt like he didn't have to do that to win. Um, but then I saw LeBron in Miami, and to me, that four-year stretch is still the best <laughs> that I've seen LeBron play basketball, especially um, uh, the MVP season in 2013 when he was just, like, off the charts good, just beyond anything we could have imagined. And just seeing him playing around better players, seeing him playing in a, with a system with uh, Eric Spolstra that just exploited all of his um, his talents, it was cool to see him in that light. So now you can sort of view LeBron in a different respect. It's like, oh, you know, we thought we saw the best of him, but there's a better version of him. And I think it gave me an appreciation for what those kind of moves can do for guys. And then you just you just mature. You get older. You say, you know what, these guys have such a short window in their careers. 
to do what they um, want to do, to play the game that they love, then we can't try to lock them into one team, into one situation, and then make that be all that they are. Because these guys want more out of life. They want more out of their careers. And if they're not getting what they want from the team that they're on, we can't hold them back. And that's sort of the way I viewed Durant's move last year, where I felt like, well, okay, he gave Oklahoma City eight years, gave the whole franchise nine. How many years does a guy, this guy have to commit to the team that drafted him? When does he get a chance to pick the play for, pick the team that he wants to play for? And so when he went there, you know, I think now people see Kevin Durant in a different light. He's surrounded by better talent. He's a Finals MVP. And I think you start to appreciate more what being on a super team can do for guys and just what it can do to elevate their games and to allow us to see them differently than we did before. I don't think anybody saw Durant as the defensive player that he was, especially during the NBA Finals. And LeBron, and, back in, you know, I, I hate to interrupt you, but LeBron in, in 2012 was arguably had one of the best, one of the better defensive yeah. seasons in NBA history that year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just so. that, that whole Miami stretch for him was just, and, and then, you know, when, when you realize the struggles that Miami had to get to win a championship, even though they had all that talent. We're well aware the Celtics yeah. had them. They had them. Yeah, they had them. Yeah, so it's not a given that just because you're on a team with more talent, that you're going to win, it's not something that's, you know, promised. So it's a struggle. And even even when, you know, they won in 2012 against Oklahoma City, but the very next year against the San Antonio Spurs, if Ray Allen doesn't hit that corner three, um, what happens? What? How do we view LeBron, you know, in terms of history? Um, so I think that, you know, just because you're on a team with that much talent, there's nothing given. So – when you want to challenge yourself and you want to take a step on your career the way Kyrie has, I think you've, at least for me, you've at least given me the benefit of the doubt. Like, um, because I want to see what he's, I, I want to see what he's capable of. Um, you know, and, and I know I've talked to a lot of people in the league, people, other writers, other people, you know, um, executives and stuff. A lot of people feel like this is not the best move for him because, you know, he's played with LeBron. LeBron, you know, hid a lot of his flaws, you know, covered up for a lot of the things that he is not necessarily good at in terms of being a playmaker and um, just maturity, leadership, a lot of things that he's just not, he hasn't reached yet. But why not give the kid a chance? Why not let him figure out exactly what his limitations are? Because I think it's unfair to say, well, his first three years without LeBron, they didn't win. Well, what 19-year-old kid drafted number one overall, enters the league, On a and immediately turns that team, team around? All NBL, NBDL players. Yeah, they're all, yeah, you know, and this doesn't happen. Anthony Davis struggled early on. I mean, everybody. John Wall struggled to, to lead the Wizards. I mean, it's just impossible for a one-and-done guy to just step into a situation, be the franchise, and automatically turn a franchise around. And he's going to have to figure out some things. He's going to have to grow physically and mentally to, to into that role. So then they say, well, what about the games that LeBron sat? Whenever he he sat, you know, he had Kevin Love around. Yeah, you mentioned that in your column. And he still couldn't win games. Well, take a step back again. Who was that team built around? That team was built to complement LeBron James. All the pieces were built to complement LeBron. And you got shooters. You got uh, one big that, you know, is not really offensively skilled. And then you got, you know, everything else. So this is Kyrie having to carry LeBron's team. That's not fair to Kyrie, and it's not fair to judge him on that. Okay, now he stepped into the Celtics, where he's surrounded by guys whose game should complement his game. Um, he's surrounded by talent. He's surrounded by a system that's 
built around him. You know, um, and that's one of the things I think people also overlook when it comes to Kyrie's decision to leave is at what point in Kyrie's career were the Cavaliers built around him? And as a number one pick, a guy selected first overall, usually you're given the keys, you're given everything. Kyrie never had a chance to really have a team that was built for him because he joined the team of LeBron leftovers. You know, he had to, you know, play with a bunch of guys that Cleveland was stuck with after LeBron left. And, you know, and he, and he was trying to figure it out on his own, so he's playing with those guys. And then LeBron comes, and then they immediately, you know, move away from a plan that they had sold to him, that they were going to build a team around him, you know, with Andrew Wiggins and possibly going after Gordon Hayward and other free agents. And then they get LeBron, it's like, well, you know what, we got LeBron. We got one of the greatest players of this generation. We're going to build around him. And if you're a number one pick and you're a guy with a huge, you know, ego and you have a lot of confidence in your abilities – and you see how everything is being built around about around him. It's not that you dislike LeBron or that you're you don't you're jealous or anything. It's more like when am I going to get my chance? When am I going to get a chance to see what I'm capable of? Now he's saying, okay, I've done it, and I don't want to be in a situation where um, I have to clean up LeBron's mess again. I got to play with LeBron's leftovers again, and then everybody blame me for you know if LeBron leaves next summer and Kyrie doesn't win, he'd be like, well, look, he couldn't do it. Now he stepped into Boston. And there's nobody who can he can blame except for himself. He he asked for this position, he asked for this situation, and now I think you can fairly judge him based on what he shows you, because what he showed you is a guy who was trying to figure it out. Now he says I figured it out, and now we can really assess just how good he really is. Fantasy football fans, football is back, which means Fanduel is back. Fantasy football for everyday fans. New contests starting every week. No busted seasons. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com. Click the Join Now button and use my code CELTICSBEAT. As stated on last week's episode of Celtics Beat, available on the CLNS Media Network mobile app, we're taking and sticking with Ben Roethlisberger today at home against the Minnesota Vikings. Let's see how that one holds. Hold me to it, especially those listeners who are listening to this broadcast during their work week after these week two football games. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score real time. Try FanDuel for free with no deposit required. Visit FanDuel.com to claim your free contest and play for a share of $10,000. Just sign up using promo code CELTICSPEED. That's FanDuel.com. Promo code CELTICSPEED. Void where prohibited. You mentioned his limitations, and in also doing so in the column, you alluded to the defense and saying that he may not be the most uh, passionate defender, if I could describe that correctly. <laughs> Give me your assessment. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just not committed. He hasn't been committed consistently. You know, um, you saw in the NBA Finals uh, two years ago when he matched up with Stephen Curry. Now, Steph was a little hobbled with the knee injury, but he really stepped up on the defensive end. He really locked in. He got into his staff. He, he he was physical with him. He did a lot of things to show that, you know, what he's not just somebody who is totally physically incapable of moving his feet and, uh, and, and you know, contesting shots. He's just a guy that just doesn't want to do it all the time. And, um, you know, and after the finals, after they won a the championship, I think he realized that he, he wasn't giving it his all on that end of the floor, um, probably because he didn't see the reward 
in doing that. You know, there's, I mean, the incentive to be an offensive player in the NBA far exceeds that of being a defensive player. And as a young player, the best way to establish yourself is that you can score, not that you're a defender. Uh, eventually, guys figure out that defense is really what's going to set them apart from all the other scorers in the league. And I think that, you know, in Boston, he's not going to really have a chance to to um, to have the luxury of not defending, um, you know, especially the way that team is structured now with Avery Bradley gone, with Jay Crowder gone. Um, the, the Celtics don't necessarily have that, that lockdown defender that they've had in the past. I mean, they have Marcus Smart still, and they have uh, Jalen Brown who's, who's – who's, so that he could really do some things on the defensive end. But for the most part, I don't think Kyrie's going to have the luxury of being hidden um, the way I'd say Isaiah Thomas was. He's going to have to step up and, 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 and play on the defensive end. I think the one area that I think Kyrie is really going to have to show me something, because I was at I was in Brazil during the Olympics when when he had Coach K. He had, you know, um, you know a, a, surrounded by so much talent, um, and he was asked to run the team, and he just couldn't do it. Like, that just wasn't something that was in him where he just, he for whatever reason, whenever the offense got, you know, um, got shut down or whenever it sputtered, a lot of times it was because Kyrie was the one initiating everything. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the ball in his hands, with the opportunity to, to be a playmaker. I think one of the things that he wanted in Cleveland was the chance to do that. And he, he bristled a lot of times on the nights where, say, he may have one assist or zero assist, and he got called out by LeBron for not being a guy who could facilitate. And then there'd be games, like he had one game, I think he had like 10 assists or something in the first half of a game. It was sort of like, okay, you give me a chance, I can do it. But if I don't ever have the ball in my hands, then I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, but I think, again, his playmaking and his defense are both sort of – he's had a similar commitment to those um, where he just has tunnel vision, where he knows that the guy in front of him most of the time cannot keep <laughs> – cannot stay in front of him. So he can blow by him and get to the rim, and he's one of the best finishers that we've ever seen. So he can just get there and finish at will. Uh, so setting up other teammates and, and doing those type of things, that's tough to do when you know that there aren't too many guys in the league that can guard you. But, again, for him to be the player that he says he is or that he says he wants to be, um, the time for all of that, time, all the time, all the other excuses, they're, they're out the window now. Man, I, I wish I could stay on this forever. This is great stuff that you have. And this is why, I, I, like I said, from what you've been hearing from Michael, I really just cannot reference that this piece that Michael put up at the vertical about a week and a half ago. Yes, it, it, it is in the description. But I do, fortunately slash unfortunately, have to transition actually to the primary uh, in turning to that team, Michael, in which you don't cover specifically as you make tours, of course, as you, across the league and even the whole world last year during the Olympics, Brazil. But uh, nonetheless... Many a years at the Washington Post, your eyes, your ears, and your mind, and, and maybe even your heart still, Mr. Lee, are still <laughs> ever as engaged on the Wizards, a team that, listen, we'll get into this. I think they will finish first in the Eastern Conference in the regular season. I don't know your thoughts. Oh, really? Okay. We're gonna, we'll are gonna we get to those soon. But before we do, to keep the transition sort of as smooth as possible, because you were talking about, uh, you know, we, we know the Celtics obviously trading for Kyrie, Signing Hayward and the players in which they lost, as you referenced, uh, Avery Bradley, Isaiah, Jay Crowder, huge pieces, not in what they produce, but the makeup, Kelly Olenek, dare we remind, the huge Game 7 against the Wiz. And, and these were the guys that formed one of the more 
intriguing rivalries in the NBA these past seasons that, that culminated in a pretty enjoyable seven-gamer last year. So, you know, I should ask, the Celtics have a brand-new team. This wasn't a piece here and a piece there. This is, I mean, what, all but six players have returned with pretty much all the key cogs, Sons, Al Horford, gone. So, you know, I mean, is that little rivalry that the Celts and Wiz, is that sort of dormant right now? Yeah, unfortunately, but I think that happened the minute they traded Avery Bradley um, for Marcus Morris. I mean, because Marquise Morris was right, sort of at brother. the center and of the entire God knows, he played thing. last year for the Wizards in that series. We don't know, yeah. huh? Ha, ha. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, uh, his incident with uh, Al Horford may may still there may still be some uh, uh, simmering you know beef between that over the ankle injury, uh, but I mean overall I mean Jay Crowder's gone and you saw his incident with John Wall, um, you know it, but I I just think it's it's not going to be the same and they, they've even admitted it you know um, it, but it's I think that what's happening for the Wizards though now is that they have to sort of raise their level of play to really be mentioned because I think the one thing that this, this Kyrie Irving trade did is that it sort of made all the other supposed or alleged rivalries in the Eastern Conference less important because all anybody cares about are the two teams at the top. So the only way the Wizards can really enter that conversation and have that kind of rivalry with either Cleveland or Boston, you know, is that they have to prove themselves as on equal footing. And right now they're not. Right now, they're a team that is on the verge, they're on the cusp, but they haven't won 50 games yet. They haven't, you know, advanced to the conference finals. And I think that's when people will start looking at the Wizards in a different light. This can be the year for them to get that breakthrough, primarily because they're the one team that can that can hold on to consistency, you know, continuity. continuity. They got it. And and they no one else has it. Uh, you Milwaukee-ish, know, Toronto, ish, sort of, yeah, Milwaukee. Toronto, but Milwaukee, but I don't think anybody expects Milwaukee to make a leap from six to to one or two. Right. Um, Washington was right there. They're in Game Seven, right there with the Celtics. Um, I think that when it comes to just the way the Wizards are, um, you know, you look at everybody else. He said, you know, complete overhaul with the Celtics. Cavaliers look different now without Kyrie, and then Toronto, a team that doesn't get mentioned a lot either. Um, you know, they, they uh, traded away uh, Damari Carroll. And, you know, so no, no other team is coming back with the same start at five as Washington. So, um, and they're going to be another year under Scott Brooks. So they'll, they'll be much more familiar with his schemes and his demands. Um, the one concern that I have for Washington, and one thing that, um, you know, I, I think that they, if they're all healthy, then they have a chance to the do bench? it. No. I think last year they were very fortunate that everybody was pretty much healthy the entire year. Their starting five, which to me is on par with any starting five in the NBA, played together just about every game. You know, there weren't too many injuries or anything that that separated that group. Um, and their bench is not has not been up to up to par. So if there's any um, you know extended or even short injuries that can take out you know their starting five, it's going to be hard for them to keep up because they just don't have the depth. And I don't know if they made the moves this offseason that could change that perception that they have greater depth. Um, but I think that, you know, they were just fortunate. Like Bradley Bill had played the most games of his career last year. Um, and we know that the first four years in this league, he always dealt with something that got him, you know, with, with his leg that, that sort of set him back. And last year he was sort of to get past, able to get past that. And I think that, you know, it'd be great if they can do it one more year and that everybody can stay healthy and that their starting five can be on the floor together for extended periods again. Um, but until they get their second unit up to par, 
um, it's going to be hard for them to say compete for the East. Um, but if if it, it does all line up and these guys are able to stay healthy, I think that people highly underestimate um, what Otto Porter can do to get better, and I don't think they really understand, um, you know, that Brad Brad's starting to figure it out too. Uh, I mean, when you get well, did he have, did he have forty in Game Seven? Am I right? Was it thirty eight? Uh, I thought it was thirty eight. Well, when you get close to 40 in Game 7 of the 39.2, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, then you, you, I think mentally you're starting to, to turn a corner. And, you know, he's just 24 years old. His confidence is really, you know, starting to get there. He's he's, he's starting to have complete belief in himself and with his uh, body that he can stay healthy. Um, if he can continue to make that progression where he can be an all-star and – and actually make the all-star team this year, which is very likely. It's very likely he'll make the all-star team this year, considering all the defections um, to the Western Conference with Paul George and you know, Jimmy Butler and whatnot. But I think if he can make that ascension to an all-star, the Wizards can be in good shape. But, again, I just I, I'm, I worry about health, and I worry uh, about their depth um, holding them back. Yeah, their bench is sketchy. It was a struggle last year. They picked up uh, Boyanovich from the Nets. I believe they they let him go. I think he's on Indiana right now. Uh, their their big moves really were re-signing John Wall and Otto Porter, having them getting him the full long term. I believe they traded for Tim Frazier, who the Celtics had in camp a few years ago. He's actually carved himself out a nice little niche in the NBA. He should serve as a decent backup point guard. Uh, bench Jody Meeks, Mike Scott uh, was you know a good player for you know decent enough player for Atlanta a few years ago. It was sort of fizzled out recently, but that uh, that was pretty much their offense. They clearly value continuity. The, the the owner spoke of how they're pretty much built around three homegrown max players. A little bit, of course, was by necessity. They went after Al Horford and Wift a few years ago, and now they're locked in with, with their salary cap situation. But really, continuity and their defense took a huge jump. Out of nowhere last year, they were ha- they started out the year terrible within the first month. That's why I actually think that the Wizards can be like a fifty-two-ish one seed. I think the Celtics with this brand new team, this is going to take a little time. Cleveland is like I just I just don't know. I, I know they're going to be good because they have LeBron, but that is going to be a very interesting situation to follow. The number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year was 53 wins. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Celtics can replicate that when I expect some early season struggles. So how about this? I'll throw this back at you. First off, you gave me a whoa the first time I mentioned in this broadcast of Washington <laughs> actually being first overall in the East. Over under 47.5 wins. I know that's the official uh, win total suggestion, and I'm not saying anything more than that. I'll give you an over under of 47.5. Um, I, I, I'll go it over, and, and the reason why I said oh. It's not in this not any kind of slight towards the Wizards. It's more that from my 13 years living in the Washington D.C. area, and then my even longer time of living, <laughs> the seeing the top seed Wizards. Okay. <laughs> it's not something that I can put, I can fathom, I can put my head around. But you know, there are other things that happened in my lifetime that I never thought I'd see, like Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know. So there, there. You never know. The Wizards uh, handing out T-shirts for winning a playoff series and dropping yeah. confetti and having balloons going up, you know, for a first-round playoff four-five matchup, whatever that was. I, I was, years. I was there. I was there for that. I, I oh, we're so that. jealous. <laughs> but when you, but when you're so used to nothing, you. I mean, like you said, this is a team that has not won 50 games since 1979. So. Um, you know how many guys in the NBA still around that were born in 1979? Not that many. Yeah, so, Pierce, right, I was a was a 77 boy. I don't think there's many of those left. 
I think it's Dirk, uh, yeah. Manu, uh, and Vince Carter. Maybe that might be it. Yeah, that were born that, that in the So, so yeah. So it's not that many. <laughs> Um, and but, they have uh, but no yeah. recollections of said West Suns led uh, seventy. That was the year they won the. T- oh, that was seventy eight. Was the year they won the title. That was the year they, went they to the finals yeah. and lost to the Sonics in a rematch. Yeah, so it's been a long time, and I think even for fans in Washington, it took them a while to sort of get behind this this team because they didn't know if they were legit or if they're for real. And I think they're starting to come around. I think that uh, you know they're starting to realize that this could be a really special team. You know, Scott Brooks. You know, people you know, just always just kind of dismissed what he was able to accomplish in Oklahoma City because he had two dynamic superstars in Durant and Westbrook. But I think that people now got a chance to really see what he can do um, outside, away from those guys. I think people can appreciate why his players in Oklahoma City really love playing for him. Um, and I think that, you know, you understand now when you see what he's doing in Washington and you see he's challenging John Wall on the defensive end. And now John is taking it upon himself. He got the uh, the, cha- the Kobe challenge to be first team all defense, and you know said he's going to step up and already declared himself the best two way uh, uh, two way point guard in the league. So um, he and that that's what I like hearing from John Wall too. Um, that level of confidence, that level of cockiness, because <clears throat> when he first came into the NBA, you know from Kentucky, he had a certain swag about him, and then he came to the NBA and got knocked around. Um, pretty hard, you know, the first his first three years, and then he started to for, sort of figure it out. But I, I see him maturing now, and I see him as a, as a leader, um, starting to take more responsibility, and also, um, you know, having that confidence. And when I when I heard him make that comment, I, I was like, I like hearing that stuff from John Wall because I know that when he is feeling good about himself and good about his game, that it becomes contagious for the other guys around. Him. Pausing our interview with Mr. Lee again as we have the privilege to talk about Celtics Beat, newest sponsor. Very excited to do so and tell our listeners about this great service, Bombfell. What is Bombfell, you ask? Well, first I'll ask this of our listeners. Do you hate shopping for clothes? Well, Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. When you sign up, you pay $0. Yes, $0 because there are no fees to work with them. You only pay for the clothes you keep. Bombfell is the only service that can make this claim. Now you can go from there. It's fully personalized. If you want, you can get your own stylist working for you. They'll email you their selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control. There is so much I love about Bombfell from the stylistic and fit material for me and just how easy this service is that I have found to use. Free shipping and returns, and I love their mantra. They work for you. Bob Fell doesn't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. So I'd love for everyone listening to give this service a shot. We negotiated with Bombfell to get a $25 offer for our listeners. For $25 off your first purchase, visit bombfell.com slash Celticsbeat. That's bombfell.com slash Celticsbeat. B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com. And the Celticsbeat URL, Bombfell, open and close. Make a prediction for May of 2018, Mr. Lee, right now between a potential Celtics and Wizards playoff series again. Um, that I think the Wizards will have a better chance at um, just because they would have the motivation of losing to them last year. 
and 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 they're sort of on equal footing in terms of you know having young guys trying to figure it out. Um, I think that that would be a more intriguing matchup just because there is so much of so much doubt as to for on both sides. Like, do they have the do the Celtics really know each other well enough to win? Um, are the Wizards really ready to to take to make that move? Um, so I, I think that. I could see the Wizards winning that series because they came pretty close last year, even though it was different personnel. Um, I just think that they would be highly, highly, highly motivated to um, get revenge um, for a team that they spent a good while wanting to defeat. I think, you know, they lost they lost to Atlanta the last time they were in the playoffs. They got them in the first round this year, and most of the pieces were, were gone. But they were like, it's still the same. It says Atlanta Hawks, and we want to destroy them. And they went out and they won that series. I think they would have that same attitude going up against the Celtics, regardless who's on the roster. And the last question, because I definitely wanted to get to this in the primer series. I've been sort of, this is almost a standard one. I think the Wizards, and this is also, we talked about dichotomies. This is very interesting. The Wizards have been going with continuity. The Celtics uh, say that they're a little more flexible uh, and have fluctuated things. That's uh, the understatement of the century. So almost with that mindset, both by both teams out of necessity, who do you think, you know, once again, very open-ended, very rough question, but that's the point of this podcast, which of these two teams is better set up long-term? Oh, uh, it's definitely the Celtics. Um, just because they have two top three picks that are under age 21, <laughs> and they're probably going to get another one next year. Uh, I just think that the way Danny has sort of set up the franchise to where they can compete now uh, for, for championships, but then be ready, you know, in two or three years. Um, you know, no other team can really, you know, say they're they're they have that sort of set up for them. You know, uh, I find it interesting. Like you look at the the Wizards, I think they can be they can really be the Celtics' rival um, during this period. You know, during the, the Hayward Irving kind of prime, I think that could be the the Bill Wall prime. They could really duke it out you know, for for several years um, together. But that next wave is coming in about four years with Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, and I think that that's where you're going to see the separation because, you know, if you're a team that's fortunate enough to um, to draft the top players now, you know that in six, seven years you're going to be one of those top teams. So I think that right now Boston can compete with Cleveland and, and Washington and Toronto and then in four years they'll be able to compete with Philadelphia and you know some of the other young teams that you expect to be pretty good going forward. So Boston, Boston did it right. You know Boston um, just has a unique situation where they could turn you know a very small a, a five-year window into a ten-year window, primarily because they have so much young talent that is being groomed uh, for greatness right now. Michael Lay. The Vertical at Yahoo Sports. Follow the man on Twitter at Mr. Michael Lee. Did I actually talk you into it a little bit now that the Wizards could be the number one overall seed in the conference? You didn't seem to get away from that now as you got further into the discussion. You know, if they can be healthy, you know, I I, I, I don't want to dismiss it. Uh, I think if they can be healthy, that there's a chance. Thanks to Michael Lee, today's featured guest, which, again, was brought to you by FanDuel. And Baumfell, go check out Baumfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash Celtics Beat 
for the coupon. Do believe it is well, well worth your time and a big support, big, big support to this production. So again, bombfell.com slash Celticsbeat. And something that is well worth your time, Celtics coverage on CLNS, as you know, even in mid-September, on the YouTube channel has been daily video coverage from the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics CLNS Media. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash CLNS Media. Video news feeds, Celtics roundtables hosted by Evan Valenti, Celtics Stuff Live, Causeway Street, all of this again has been coming out multiple times per day on a daily basis in HD and it's September. Just wait for what is in store for the season which is now T minus four weeks. Officially. Halfway done with the primer on Celtics Beat. Little preview for next week. In division with the Toronto Raptors. Doing so with Tass Mellis from the starters on NBA TV. Good friend of the show. For episode number 229. But for episode number 228, music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato. Today's guest again was Michael Lee of the Vertical at Yahoo Sports. Use that Celtics Beat coupon code for our sponsors, fanduel.com slash Celtics Beat and Bombfell. B O M B F E L L.com. Bombfell.com slash Celtics Beat. For graphic designer Scott Dillon, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Larry H. Russell, the executive producer and host. Signing off for another edition of the number one podcast on the web, which covers the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Media. 